welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, sexuality, and feminism. I'm your host, Chicago comic Kristen Lighty, and today we have with us Stephanie Weber. Hello, I'm Stephanie Weber. Hey, why don't you tell the people what you do, what you're about? Cool. Um, I'm all about fun. I'm all about flirtiness. I'm about <laughs> Halloween. I'm also, <laughs> yeah, stand-up comedian here in Chicago and a writer. I um, I host the podcast Wait What Happened, which is like a history podcast, uh, and Kristen was just on that talking about what this is about but I'm jumping ahead of myself here uh yeah I write for uh Atlas Obscura Slate um I've written for the AV Club Mental Floss um I like to write humor and history written for Reductress and uh, a bunch of other little, a bunch of other little guys out there so if you're interested you can just uh go to the internet yeah and we'll have all your links <laughs> on the the podcast information as well so check out uh, especially want to recommend the Reductress articles. They laughed my ass off. Oh, man, I just wrote one uh, this weekend that should be up. Ooh, what's the headline? Next week. Uh, it's a quiz. It's are you an introvert, extrovert, or a Victorian ghost with unfinished <laughs> business? So take it and find out. <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, Stephanie, I'm curious. What is the first horror movie you remember seeing, like, as a kid? Yeah, I... Um, so I was a I was like a really creepy kid. Oh, um, love it. Yep. <laughs> so I was always into like the creepy Halloween little witchy movies. Like I loved Nightmare Before Christmas, and like my mom had a tape of a bunch of Disney Halloween cartoons, and I would just like watch it over and over and over again. But the first true horror movie I think I watched was Psycho, Ooh. and that remains my favorite probably. I uh, I watched it when I was like nine because mm-hmm. we went to. Universal Studios and they did like a Hitchcock experience. Oh, yeah, it was really really cool and I learned all about it and it was cool also if you like have this academic approach to, to film because it was also the first time that I was like, oh movies are crafted in this interesting way with all these different mm-hmm. moving parts and it all comes together and then there's the corporate machine of the marketing tool. But anyway, like, because <laughs> they talked about that with the birds and having it have been in 3D and how uh, that was just like a fun era of uh, trying to get people into the theater with horror movies. Mm. Um, that was when you also had like uh, Castle directing all these weird movies that had like smell of vision. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love too, like the people that would run up and down the aisles and scare you in costume. Right, yeah. yeah. It was all like that era of gimmick. Um, but that's the era that Psycho was made. And uh, they talked so much about Psycho there, instantly went home and rented it. And then I just like kept renting it. And I remember one time my mom was like, it's maybe troubling that uh, <laughs> I keep letting you rent this. <laughs> But it's my favorite. I just, there's just something about it. I mean, the story is uh, beautifully done and and, uh, so scary. Norman Bates is so scary, and he seems like he wouldn't even hurt a fly. Yeah, seems like just the regular old nice guy next door. Yeah, don't trust a nice guy. No, no, especially now. No, (laughs) you can't. So uh, I kind of think I know the answer to this already, but how do you feel about horror as a genre? Um... Well, I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good. I feel good about it. No, I. <laughs> uh, I actually always thought that um, horror is really similar to comedy, in in that mm. yeah, mm. that it just it's all about like building to something, and it's like comedy relieves the tension, and horror just kind of drives it home, you know, or mm-hmm. takes it in a different direction. So I've always felt like they were cousins. Definitely. <laughs> it's really related. Yeah, you definitely see that because it's all about the reveal too. It's all about the reveal, and either way, and it, it's it's like it's it's almost like they go down the same road, and it's just a fork, mm-hmm. you know. 
Either and, you're going to laugh or you're going to be crying. Yeah, and I've noticed lately I'm a really big fan of like dark comedies mm-hmm. or comedy horror movies where they just like cross over. Oh, um, yeah. Like I watched You're Next and there were so many moments in that film where I just like laughed out loud and then like realized the people next to me didn't really <laughs> feel that way. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a weird fine line. I mean, I, I love Scream and Scream oh, does yeah. that like perfectly. It does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Cool. Well, for us to talk about today, um, normally it's, you know, what the guest chooses on their own, but we're doing a crossover episode. Wow. Crossover. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah. So you'll have to check out Stephanie's podcast, Wait What Happened, which is a podcast about historical events. And so today we're going to talk about The Town That Dreaded Sundown, which is, of course, about the Texacana phantom murderer. Phantom killer. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a guy. Never, never solved, <laughs> never solved, uh, so he's still out there. Yeah, so this was basically the uh, serial killer that was going after teens at Lover's Lane in the late 40s, uh, Texacana, which is right on the border of Texas and Arkansas, and really, like, created the spinoff, um, you know, all the slasher movies of the 80s, Friday the 13th, specifically with that white mask, you know, like... These stories are where all these movies pretty much came from. It mm-hmm. is their origin story. Yeah, this would definitely be the origin story. And uh, and the Phantom Killer wore a mask over his head, so no one was able to identify him. Um, and he attacked helpless couples, parking their car to make out. Mm, just want uh, some kissing. Yeah, so he's just it's he's definitely like the real scary story. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, don't don't go out and kiss at night. You're gonna get killed. Sluts. Yeah, you sluts. <laughs> it's a very slut shamey uh, story and movie. Yeah, so speaking of that slut shaming, uh, what were some of the themes that really jumped out at you in this film? Man, I mean, this was such a weird film. I So I mm-hmm. hadn't seen it until we were talking about mm-hmm. um, like the true story in the movie based off it. And I I had written about the Texarkana murders before, so I definitely knew that this movie was based off of it, but I still had never seen it. So I finally saw it. <laughs> And I saw it at Odd Obsession, because I volunteer there sometimes. Oh, cool. And it, this is just a strangely constructed movie. Um, I mean, I get, like, a big theme is, I've seen, like, all of the girls in the movie, they, they don't want to put out, and the guys are upset about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everyone gets killed anyway. So I don't really know <laughs> what they were trying to tell me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one, uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, this film was so goofy. Like, it didn't feel like a traditional horror film in Mm -mm. the sense that there were all these weird moments of, uh, like, comic relief that I'm not sure... It was almost unsettling. (laughs) Yeah. It was... (laughs) It felt like David Lynch helped make this movie. Well, like, up top it felt like a newsreel, because you Mm -hmm. have this voiceover that's, like, introducing the town and the time where he's, like, it's this... Post World War Two, and our boys are back at home. <laughs> <laughs> they're back at home, and they're hornier than ever. It's so strange. So he sets this all up, and then it's the forties, and uh, it, it starts off like a horror movie. We have a vicious attack, and then we meet the police officers. And like when I think about the movie, all I can remember is the the goofy cops. Yeah, because that was so much of the movie. Yeah, specifically Sparkplug. Sparkplug, there's a sheriff named Sparkplug. He's not a sheriff. He's like a new, he's a rookie cop. Yeah, I mean, if there could be cop interns, I guess (laughs) he would be. (laughs) Uh, A cop turn, and he's there, 
he's being a goof. Like, and they even start playing like goofy music under all of his stuff. Or it's like, yeah, like they're going to investigate a murder scene, and spark plug forgot the keys to the car. So he goes inside, and then it's this huge ordeal. And then he comes back and wah, 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 and then he like starts the car and they go to the murder scene. It is literally a waste of three minutes. Yeah. It's just, it's just about gang gang the keys. And you know what? Spoiler alert. That part is not based on any truth. Uh, I wanted to ask. You know what's funny? It's like when I started watching it, I was like, Sparkplug's the killer. Right? I'm like, Sparkplug. And then I, because I, I like went back, I was like, Sparkplug does not sound familiar to me. And I like went through it again. And I'm like, okay, this was not a real person. Aw, yeah. damn it. It was, it's such a weird choice. To, maybe, it, maybe they were like, this story is true. It's kind of scary. Maybe if mm-hmm. we, um, if we like insert this humor in there, it relieved the fact that it's true. Like, it maybe it distanced itself from the truth. But it also functions as disrespecting the real victims and their yeah. families, you know? Yeah, and it's not like America hadn't been watching horror movies for a really long time. Right. It's the se- mid-70s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I was surprised by that choice that they felt they needed to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one comedic moment in particular really stood out to me, and it's when um, Sparkplug is dressed like a lady. Yeah. Because they're going to entice the phantom killer into the, um, the cops' cars. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just two cops undercover that are going to... They're going to park yeah. in Lover's Lane and yeah. see if the killer can come and get him. Uh, but then the creepy male cop is like feeling up Sparkplug yeah. and like coming onto him, and Sparkplug is saying like, "Hey, yeah. I'm not really a lady, you know." But it's supposed to be like this comedic moment where we just laugh, you know. He's fondling her. Yeah, <laughs> it's not fun. She yeah. doesn't want it. It's, um, but it really reminded me of like growing up in the '80s and like how, like basically, sexual assault was mm-hmm. like funny and like yeah you know oh boys will be boys and they'll chase you and steal your bikini top and it's just a Rodney Dangerfield movie it felt so much like that it felt definitely like very Porky's-esque mm, just, yeah. just like uh, you know we're, we're cross-dressing for laughs and mm-hmm. then uh assault is the norm I actually watched Carrie like right after I watched this oh okay and I forgot about the scene where it's like John Travolta and uh the girl who plays his Girlfriend, I can't remember the actress's name, but is it the red hat kit? Uh, no, no, I don't. No, it's not that one. Oh, okay. It's uh, but it's like their counterparts, the people that they do the blood. They like put it. They're the ones that pull okay. the string. Yeah. But there's a, like a scene identical to that where they're both in the car and he's like trying to get with her and she's just like stop, stop, and it's treated so much like you girls just love to say no. Yeah. And, you know, until <laughs> they say yes, which is like. Uh, it's interesting because it almost mirrors what the other murders are like the first murder right is like they're making out and then she kind of tells him to cool it mm-hmm. and then he gets all pouty the guy gets like pouty and yeah. it's like I don't know why I even go out with you mm-hmm. <laughs> which is so guilty and terrible to say yeah. yeah I mean like why would she continue dating him after that right but it does feel like oh when you were a little kid because I, I watched a lot of movies when I was a little kid and that was such the norm mm-hmm. that it was like you know you gotta give the guy what they want otherwise you're gonna be a prude and yeah. they won't like you but on the other hand 
you gotta be a sweet little virgin. Yeah, and if you do give him what they want, then he'll tell everyone in the school and you're a super slut. Yeah, then you're a super slut. <laughs> and I was gonna marry a super slut. Yeah. So think long game here. Do yeah, you want goal babies? is to be married. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I just remember like I would watch Benny Hill with my grandpa, who I love and is a great mm-hmm. guy, but I would just like stare at him, stare at the TV. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it is really weird to be a young girl and watch these things that were like because it just feels like everything was made for 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 men in the yeah. middle case. And to just sit there and be like, this isn't made specifically for me, but I'm supposed to act like it is and mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this weird, like, it's just so many layers that your brain has to go through when you're just a little little girl oh, or a yeah. teenage girl. To be like, you know, do I just like, politely laugh or... What am I supposed to do here? And you know what's interesting? Because as women, we always do that, right? Right. Like we always accommodate that other narrative, that other Absolutely. perspective that we don't understand. And I feel like that is where so much tension is coming from now, like in comedy and other spaces where different narratives are being lifted up. Mm-hmm. And now, like, you know, the dominant narrative feels threatened. So, yeah. like, it's all these, like... You know, like, comedy historically has always been, like, the straight white male, mm-hmm. and now that space is a little smaller, and I feel like there's just, like... <laughs> yeah, the backlash from that, because yes. it's, like, they, they don't know how to accommodate, or... Yes. Like, I'm generalizing here, of course. Oh, like, yeah. Not everyone yeah. is like this, but, like, you know, there there is that, that feeling of, like, this doesn't speak to me, so I'm just going to shut it out. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, hey, I've been listening and seeing things that don't speak to me my whole life, and I'm exactly. okay to yeah, watch it. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. I have this thing. I have this thing. It's crazy. You should try it. It's called empathy, and it's like... <laughs> that sounds animal. hard. I know. It is hard. It, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, man. I took us way off. I, I, you know, it's, um, it's Sparkplug's fault because it is him, and then also I love a movie that so this movie was made in the seventies, and I absolutely love a movie that is made that is dated in general, but it it is a period movie and a different time because mm-hmm. it just looks like a seventies movie to me. Oh even yeah, though it's supposed to be the late forties. Yeah, I keep forgetting. Yeah. I'm like, oh, why are the cars so weird? <laughs> the cars are weird. Like the the cop is wearing like this weird like hunky sexy. 70s cop get up. That cop did look good. He had a like <laughs> tight pants and he would stand with his hip out <laughs> and he's posing as he's waiting for a backup. Mm-hmm. And the women all had blue eyeshadow, I kept noticing. Oh, yeah. It was very like disco era. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's definitely not a 40s look. Yeah. Anyway, that's a visual aside. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, there was this one woman in the film that kept providing, like, uh, comedic events as well. And she was blonde, had blue eyeshadow, mm-hmm. but she worked in the police station. And, like, in the beginning, I forget what they said, but she made this face, like, her eyes were really big and exaggerated. And then later on, she was spiking the punch at the high school That's prom. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she brought a flask and spiked it off of the teens. <laughs> I liked her. Yeah, she likes kids to have fun. <laughs> She's in support of sexy teens. The and, entire uh, school gets into a drunk driving accident later, like leaving the parking lot. <laughs> like, yeah. This. All right, so let's, I want to talk about the murders with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so the some of the murders, like we saw the first round of murders, yeah. and those those held pretty historically those accurate, do, right? Those yeah. And um, as it says up top, in the the narration that comes in and out of the movie as if it's like it's the narration is weird the voice of the narration is strange but uh it's the names are all changed um so you know it protects that at least but 
the first the first murder is pretty much exactly what happened. The first in real life it might be a little bit worse even. Um, they have you know they're dragged out by the masked guy um, out of the car. The guy's dragged out first. He's beaten with a pipe, and mm-hmm. then she is too. Uh, but they both survived. They both hospitalized the first victims. So in real life. They were approached um, and dragged out of the car by gunpoint, and the guy was attacked with a metal pipe, and, or an iron pipe, and um, it fractured his skull, and then he told the woman to run, um, and he assaulted her. In the movie, mm-hmm. they made a point of saying that she was not assaulted, but in mm-hmm. real life, that he did. Um, and... He told her to run away, and then uh, he chased after her, and then he beat her, and then told her to run again, and he said, change direction. And he just did this weird game with her, toyed with her, um, and beat them both uh, to an inch of their life, but they both survived. That's impressive that yeah. they both lived. I know. it's That's insane. And they, of course, they can't you know identify him because he had a mask over his face the whole time, so he had a white mask on. Yeah, and in the movie, it's just a bag. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> yeah, it is like a burlap sack with eyes. That thing had to smell so bad because he's yeah. just breathing into it. And like, as a as a viewer of this, I know it's uh, probably not like PC of me to say this, but like, you know, put a little effort into your look, maybe. Yeah, well, that's the interesting theory we were, we were talking about in the other episode. Uh, so you guys want to listen, but there is a theory that uh, he's the Zodiac. This is early Zodiac. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. So listen to hear more, but true, true, true. So, I mean, he did get a nicer bag then, I guess? When he yeah, was yeah, yeah. Zodiac. Zodiac really went all out. Like, <laughs> Zodiac took a costume design class. <laughs> he got inspired. He yeah. looks real good. Yeah, he looks good. He looks good. Okay, so second murder mm-hmm. victims. Um, okay, the trombone scene. Did oh, okay, that, what, so what that's like that? the third. So that's like so in real life, she would that didn't happen. Um, she was <laughs> a saxophone player. Uh, oh, so yeah, she, okay. So she was a saxophone player. So they changed the instrument, and they in this movie, what they had to be a trombone. So she played trombone in the at the dance, and he attaches a knife to a trombone, mm-hmm. and he does this very clever, uh, disgusting blow into it, and it's. Stabs her in the back. He ties her to a tree, mm-hmm. and he does. Was that, that something that was real? I don't. I don't think so. I don't remember okay. reading about that. I could be wrong, but I don't remember reading about the tying to the tree. And there were two victims in this that were tied to a tree. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when the lady stood up. She was playing trombone at the mm-hmm. prom, and when she stood up, like she did it in this way where like the light hit her, and she looked so angelic. Yeah. It's like, oh, she's gonna die. Yeah. And she is wearing like a like a buttercream <laughs> yes. outfit, so she yes. just looks like a little angel, seventies angel. Yeah. <laughs> in a forties prom, but she. So, so, yeah, but um, her saxophone, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I feel like it was something like the saxophone was found very far from her body, too, oh. when they did find their bodies, because they found, like, her and the guy she was with, um, and it was either found very far or not at all. I can't remember what the detail is, and I wish I had mm. found it before I got here, but... Yeah, it just seemed like such an odd thing to incorporate into right. the film. I was yeah. wondering, like, what's the story on yeah, that? Yeah, so he was clearly inspired by her her real um, band life. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting change to, mm-hmm. to make. And definitely, some, it's one of those things where it's also when you watch a movie like this, like a slasher movie or a horror movie, there's always that one scene 
that is like, ooh, this went the extra mile. Like, yeah. it's really scaring me right here. Uh, and that's definitely the one in this movie that does it, the trombone killing scene. Yeah. yeah. In my notes, I just wrote, trombone, dot, 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 what the fuck? Well, and then it's interesting because in the movie, they refer to it afterwards, too. Mm-hmm. The cops do. And I'm like, how mm-hmm. would they know that unless they found, did they find the weapon? Because they don't, I don't remember them showing us that they found the trombone with the knife, but I don't yeah. know how they would know that he attached the knife to it. You're right. The police also said that he chewed on victims. Is that accurate? Oh, yeah. They said that he... Because they said the first woman was not uh, raped or sexually assaulted, but she was chewed on. Uh, and I, that's another thing I don't remember mm. reading about. Again, I could be wrong, but he did assault the female victims. So. I wonder if the film is just using that as a metaphor for mm-hmm. rape because they don't want they to might say be, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, like it's like too horrific to yeah. say that. Yeah. I really liked how um, the film used the foot footage mm-hmm. to like kind of display the murder and like created this sense of hysteria and distrust and that you didn't know who the killer was. Yeah, because I kept showing uh, people in town walking or lining up because they, they say yeah. in the opening scene they say that it's a bunch of people lining up to see this movie and mm-hmm. uh, the movie theater and that's how it ends too and it's very like the killer was never caught and he could be any one of us. Yeah, and so don't trust anyone. True, true. <laughs> what kind of shoes did he wear? I mean, it does speak to, like, kind of, like, the experience of being a woman mm-hmm. and, like... He's literally walking among you. You don't know who's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, the other theme that really jumped out at me was kind of, like, the great man theory of history and mm-hmm. how, like, history is made by certain male figures who, you know, are just bigger than life. And, like, in this film, it was the... The lone wolf of the Texas Rangers, J.D. Morales. Yeah, he's a lone wolf. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it was interesting to me how much they propped him up in the film. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering, was it was it like that in real life? Was he seen as like this savior that was coming to no, save this they town? No, because they didn't. Um, they never did find him, and they really they didn't really make arrests in this. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was one guy that they think it could have been, and that the movie kind of ends on that. They they had this idea of like. We must have pinned him for another crime, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting way. They it was a weird open-ended re- resolution. It's also a way yeah. of saying like we did our job. We did our job, just right. a little different. We did a little different because um, there's really one person that the cops seemed to think it was, but he was never tried for it, and his name was Yule Swinney. Um, but otherwise, it wasn't. It wasn't seen as this like great savior moment because the whole town was so terrified the whole time, and mm-hmm. it, they never did have this relief. Um, and the town literally did shut down at sundown because, you know, they had a curfew and everything, just like they weren't sure when this guy would attack again because he was, all of his attacks were a month apart. Um, so he he was just really regular and the cops <laughs> just had to be there, you know. Uh, the, cops were the, the cops were viewed as like the only people that could possibly save us, mm-hmm. but um, they still, like, they were clueless. They didn't have any, there just weren't enough clues to pin it on anybody. 
Yeah, and you know, the way that the police were portrayed in this film, aside from Sparkplug, of course. Sparkplug's an idiot, but yeah. go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it made the ending so unsatisfying. It was because, really unsatisfying. Yeah, yeah, the way that they built all these cops up like they were going to do something great, which, I mean, like mm-hmm. now that I'm saying this and thinking about the times we live in, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in the, in the movie, they had this weird standoff with the killer where they, yes. like, find him in his hood in daytime, which was a little much for okay. me. Okay, yeah, like, uh, why are you walking around in your murder outfit? I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I have really bad acne. So he's, like, just hanging out on some, on some rocks. Yeah. And yes. they find him, and they start shooting at him, and they're having a shootout. They're chasing him away. And then, like, a train goes by, and they're separated, of course, by the train. Mm-hmm. And uh, the train passes, and then they can't find him, and they never find him. Um, which I thought was such a weird, like, that's the closest they could think of to get. Because the cops just never really did. Like, the, the final murder, which is very, very, exa- almost exactly what happened in the movie, is what happened when he goes to the uh, Stark house. When he goes to the farmhouse, the killer goes to a house... Um, and he shoots the husband through the outside window of all the guys just reading. And then he uh, shoots at the woman while she's trying to call the cops. She does get shot in the face. Poor Mary IRL. <laughs> IRL, she got shot in the face. Yeah. And uh, she crawls her way out. She escapes and goes to a neighbor. Um, and that was, uh, that was scary, too, because she runs into the cornfields... And that's pretty scary to watch someone go to a cornfield. Cornfields are scary as hell. That's where you get lost. Yeah. Also, I was like, why don't you just lay down? Because he wouldn't be able to see her. All the rustling in there. Yeah. But but she made it. And she does survive in real life. Um, and that was his final kill in Texarkana. Okay. So, that, so they never got him after that. They never had any breaks in the case. That was it. Um, so the movie, I felt like... To the, to the director, the writer, that must have, like, to the writer, it was unsatisfying to have, like, that be the last thing. Uh-huh. So he adds this weird train sequence that almost makes it, like, even more unsettling. Because it's mm-hmm. like, where'd it go? Yeah, and it also, like, it feels like they're trying to make the cops more compelling than they were. Because yeah. it's, like, this final shootout. They have a little showdown. Mas macho. You right. Know? <laughs> but really, it was, like, a bunch of guys trying to do their job. And it was mm-hmm. just like, oh, he's gone. <laughs> we didn't get him. So that train scene never happened. No, that never happened. Because mm. uh, I had a theory, like, he jumped on the train and he's an right? oboe riding the rails. And now he's the Zodiac Killer. Yes. He took it all the way to California. Yes, yes. Although we solved it. There was another murder in Fort Lauderdale, um, the Lover's Lane murder with a 32 caliber pistol, which is what was used on um, one of the couples. So people were wondering if that was also the same guy. And that yeah. happened, I think, either it was also in 1946 or 1948. I mix up my sixes and my eights when I'm reading, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the two. Um, it must, I think it was 46 because there was a different crime. 48 was, uh, there was a kidnapping in Texarkana of Virginia Carpenter. And people also wondered if that was the same guy. Because they just didn't know. They were like, he's still here. Like, the townspeople were convinced for years that he was still there. Some even, like, to this day, are like, he never got caught. He always just lived his life among us, retired here. Yeah, that's terrifying. I know. Um, You know, even despite, like, growing up and having heard all these stories, I still went to our town's Lover's Lane. Mm, Uh, uh Uh-oh. Yeah. There she is. (laughs) (laughs) Live to tell the tale. Did they have them? 
Um, yeah, in my t- in oh, Green Bay we had Gray's it was Gray's Hill, and it was like this huge hill that overlooked the whole town. Uh, but actually, the one time I did go there, it was winter, and um, the gentleman I was with, we like we drove, and the car spun around in the ice and landed itself in the ditch, facing the road. Um, so we got out to investigate, and at that point, I realized I locked the keys in the car with uh-huh. the car running. <laughs> And I had to call my mother at one in the morning. Oh, and, uh, my God. I am surprised my mother didn't murder me. She yeah. was really pissed. Oh, no. I didn't, uh, I don't, if there were lover's lanes in my hometown, I was not privy to them. <laughs> I'll say that. I don't know where they went. I did, I do know that there was, um, there's a historical monument. It's like a, like an old French fort in the woods. Uh, and where did you grow up again? I grew up in New Lenox, Illinois, just by Joliet. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, I was writing, I was trying to write about this, like, French fort, and I was doing all this research, and that's when I saw that apparently that was where, um, like, gay men went to meet up. Like, oh, yeah, 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 that was that was where they went in the town, um, and uh, the police called, when the police had to go there to, like, get everyone to leave, they called it mushroom hunting. Oh, jeez. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> But, you know, I was like, I did see a lot of condoms in the woods, and that's probably why. Like, looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, it was, like, clandestine meetings. Well, at least they're being safe. At least they're being safe. You have to be safe, guys. <laughs> Gotta be safe. Especially in the woods. They're yeah. serial killers. That's it. How, how are you calm? And How are you calm and horny enough? To, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Especially, like, a, I don't know. I just, guys, a mass murder is going to come after you. <laughs> A masked one. Uh, so, were there any other themes that jumped out at you in the film? I just felt like this this movie was so disjointed. It's such yeah. a weird film. Like, it's just not. It's brought to you almost like a newsreel. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. weird. It weirdly feels more like a um, like a reenactment Dateline show. Oh yeah, right. Than a movie. So like, I didn't get a lot of themes from it because I felt like I was literally just like watching this thing there wasn't a lot of character development there Mm -hmm. you have I mean you have Morales that cop but he all he was was like you're saying like this everyman character he has no flaws he's Mm -hmm. just going after the bad guy yeah you're right um it felt it was like weirdly it felt like a western meets dateline Mm -hmm. um yeah and really the most we had for female characters I think is like Marianne from Gilligan's Island yeah Because otherwise it's all the women that are saying like, no, I don't want to have sex. And then they get murdered. And so it's like a weird slut-shamey movie, but also like, it doesn't matter either way, you're going to get murdered, so just don't leave your house. (laughs) I don't know. I was like, none of the women have like lines. That's been our podcast. Right. (laughs) Just don't leave your house. (laughs) And ringing endorsement from me. Yeah, it did feel like that. It didn't feel like it went in depth with anyone. I know there's a remake, um, so I'd be really interested to see what that ended up doing because mm-hmm. this does. It just felt so much not like a movie. Yeah, it yeah. Was a really interesting film in that way. And a lot of the times, I would forget about the narrator until he came back in. I was like, oh, I thought we were done with you. Oh, he was so irregular. <laughs> yeah. Well, he introduced the weird spark plug cross-dressing team of being like, and then the boys had to draw straws. Like, why are you here? (laughs) Forgot about me, did you? I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, it did feel like a Dragnet episode or something. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Yeah, I almost said MASH. I was like, that's not right. It's Dragnet, (laughs) yeah. 
It's like the same voice, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, what were your favorite moments in this film? I mean, that trombone uh, killing is like... <laughs> I thought it was pretty clever. For a movie that a lot of times had me going like, well, yeah, what's happening? Why are you guys yeah. doing this? Like, really every scene with the killer was like really well done. You know, mm-hmm. it was actually scary. He was very predatory. Um, and when... You, even though he's masked, like you can feel his desperation when someone's surviving or like yeah. getting away. Like yeah. his breathing through the bag. Yeah, the the sound of the breathing is uh mm-hmm. is really scary too. Also, like his body mannerisms. Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah, it's it's weird to think that someone you don't even hear talk once. Yeah, it can, you're still very afraid of just by how he's moving. How he's moving and breathing. Yeah, yeah. the breathing is really visceral. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite scene was the Dukes of Hazard style water landing. Spark plug. Wah, wah. Oh my god, spark plug. <laughs> Why are you doing this in this horror movie? <laughs> I mean, he does. He's a funny. When he's introduced, it's really funny because mm-hmm. he's like taking calls and he's getting too into it, or he's just like, "Oh, you now he your husband better not be hitting you." You know, he like mm-hmm. has a really goofy like he promised not to hit you kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, about that. <laughs> so weird. But like he's being funny, you know, he's being funny. But then it it's like, oh, every time we see him, this is how it's gonna be. Like, yeah, I don't like this. Me neither. It just felt weirdly disrespectful because mm-hmm. uh, it is. It's not far enough from the truth. Like, I didn't think about it until I was watching this movie, and I was like, I remembered that you you said that you asked everyone what their first horror movie was. And I was like, watch this movie, and I was like, oh, my first horror movie is Psycho. That's also my favorite. Why didn't I just pick that? It's based on Ed Gein. I was like, why? I, like, forgot that it was based on Gein. Um, But even then, like, it's based on a book based on Gein. Yeah. So it's, like, a couple steps removed, and then he takes so many liberties. Um, Or really, it's just, like, the mother suit that's the thing that's based on Gein. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he definitely had that. (laughs) Uh, Real arts and crafts guy. Yeah, he was a crafty guy. (laughs) But, um... But this movie just, it was, it was like almost not far enough away from the mm-hmm. truth to like be able to do that stuff, I felt like. Mm-hmm. It still bridged this weird almost documentary style. Yeah. And I was curious, um, as someone who does historical research for a living, um, this film. That's me. Is it based, like, it says it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Like, nine, or one out of ten, one through ten. How does, yeah. it, how does it hold up? For what you researched, I, it's like I think it's pretty close, with the with the exception of like that standoff scene mm-hmm. um, and a few liberties. Like I think it's, I, I mean, I would say it's like a seven almost, like a six point five or seven, just because like the murders are pretty accurate. Like they don't add or subtract victims, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's like pretty close, and it's all it's the area. I think it was filmed there. I can't remember if that's true. I know the town loves the movie. Yeah, which <laughs> blew my mind. Yeah, they love this movie. That is so surprising. They totally embrace the most horrific thing that's happened to all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they love it. I guess that's a sign of, you know, acceptance and growth, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they have a screening every year at Halloween at a site very close to one of the murders. <laughs> That's you know? hilarious. Um, but it is weirdly um, weirdly close enough to the truth that kind of made me feel like they didn't earn some, the like ability to be so funny with a lot of the things. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you would earn that in general, just when it's like a gruesome murder where like 
it's so easy to look up what actually happened and mm-hmm. then even the names of the victims are they're changed but not that much you know yeah. instead of like instead of like a like Betty Joe it'd be like <laughs> it's like Linda Sue or something yeah like okay yeah yeah all right uh, any final thoughts on the town that dreaded sundown I just thought the ending was so strange like I felt mm-hmm. like they could have definitely gone in a different direction or gone like it's weird to just be like pat ourselves on the back we probably got him yeah <laughs> that's yeah. what they ended on like we probably got him for a different crime don't worry about it yeah and then they stop <laughs> which like I mean there is a seed of truth in that in that um, they arrested a car thief oh, it's not a car thief car thief uh, Ewell Swinney and um, his wife said that he was the phantom killer and there were a couple bits of um, evidence that suggests that, which we talk about in the Wait What Happened episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does kind of seem like that guy might be the guy. Uh, but even then, like, show us this guy you think you got, you know? Yeah. Give us a weird Norman Bates ending. Make us feel good. <laughs> yeah. Or give us something. Make us feel good or just like, ooh, he still lingers, you know? Yeah. It, it felt so just, uh, we did the job and we got a clock out. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been awesome having you on Bloody Mary. Thank you. Thank you for um, having me. Where can people see you around town and uh, online? Yeah, I perform at the Lincoln Lodge. I perform stand-up comedy there and at Chicago Underground Comedy. So if you're in Chicago, go to those. Um, but yeah, you can, you can catch me online. Uh, got stuff on Reductress um, and uh, yeah, all over the place. You can follow me on Twitter, at Steph Eloise. Great, and we'll have all that information and links in the write-up of the episode. Uh, That's been Stephanie Weber. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Thank you.